Happy Labor Day. We decided to take a break ourselves, so we are sharing one of our past episodes that I think really stands out. In 2013, I interviewed entrepreneur Yao Huang. That year, she was involved in the Entrepreneur Challenge and Competition, which was organized by the Taiwanese American Professionals New York Chapter and the Taiwan Merchants Association. Yao talked about how she went from her career in pharmacy to venture capital and how she founded the hatchery to grow Silicon Alley, New York City's tech community. I think you'll find that the perspectives and advice that she offers in this interview very sound and still relevant today. You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Welcome to the Talking Taiwan podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. And our special guest today is Ya Huang. She is managing partner at Perek Ventures and founder at The Hatchery. Um, she's been named by Forbes as one of 11 women at the center of New York's digital scene. And a lot of her entrepreneurship has been written up in Fortune magazine um, and various publications. So I'm really happy to um, welcome you to the podcast. Thanks, Huang. Yeah. Thanks, numbers. Great. Um, so it's hard to know where to start with all the different hats that you wear. Um, but since this is the Talking Taiwan podcast, I wanted to, wanted to start by asking you about your roots. Um, after all, the way that I got connected with you was through the Entrepreneur Challenge and Competition. So could you talk a little bit about how you got involved with that and your connection to Taiwan? Uh, so I was born in Taiwan. And over the years, I spent some time there, pretty much raised in New Jersey and, you know, grew up and educated in the U.S. And uh, at one point, I actually had some of my business in Taiwan, just, you know, I really liked the country, liked the people, I family there. And with the competition, it was really just participating in a community organization that I feel very close with. They wanted me to help and mentor some of the companies, approve them, which is basically what I do every day. And it was uh, a pleasure. Right. Um, so you mentioned that you did some business in Taiwan. Can you talk a little bit about that? What was it that you were doing? Well, I had a digital agency in New York at one point in the early days and um, had set up some development talent out there. I just thought the talent was really good. They worked really hard. It was easy to deal with. It was also, you know, really good for business. Great. So as a child, um, since you're such an entrepreneurial person, I'm wondering, like, were you like this as a child? Were you always enterprising and entrepreneurial? Uh, actually, I grew up uh, going to pharmacy school. Oh. So it's a very traditional pathway, you know, go to school, get a degree, work. And along that way, I just had realized that in order to do more and make more money, um, be more successful, I had to try something on my own, uh, have more control over the outcomes and the business. So I actually left the pharmaceutical industry for a life as an entrepreneur, pretty much. I started a company with some friends. Mm -hmm. And that's a company that had some business involvement in Taiwan? Yes. Great. And um, going back to the Entrepreneur Challenge and Competition, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, which team did you mentor, and what were some of the suggestions that you had for them? So I was working with NAMS, which is, uh, the CEO is, uh, flew in from, I believe, Michigan, and he was, his business was basically making organic, healthier uh, Taiwanese soups and foods. 
to be distributed through an online ordering system, Mm -hmm. right? So very simple business. He has a very interesting background from finance, and he quit his job to start his own company, which is the path that most people take. Mm -hmm. And, you know, initially it was just a lot of advice around how to communicate, how to talk, how to present, how to convince, how to be persuasive about, you know, his passion, his vision, his business, which is actually a stumbling block a lot of entrepreneurs have. You spend all this time trying to build a business and, you know, they talk and no one understands what they're talking about. You know, they don't get it or it doesn't make sense. No one sees the value proposition. So that's a big hurdle a lot of folks have. So for him, he was actually coming out of finance, so his presentation deck was very complicated. Mm -hmm. So most of the help was around helping him pare it down, how to communicate the message. It's about saying fewer words, but have it be more powerful, right? So he ended up winning the one of the prizes that day. Great. So how did you get on the path of um, becoming a venture capitalist? Um, you did mention that you started a pharmacy and then you started your own company, and then now you're doing venture capital. Can you talk about that switch? I would say my life is filled with two things, opportunities, good timing, and just you know making a decision at that intersection. Mm-hmm. So... I switched over to entrepreneurship. That was a decision. As a result of it, in the last decade, just a series of people wanting me to do things because, you know, I was smart, I was capable, I can deliver. And those set of things and being able to build these companies, guide them, advise them, had a lot of value. It's not what you think. I think in 2013 today, a career is very different than it was 50 years ago. Right? Right. You used to be able to go to school, and then that's you're done. For the right. next 30 years, you're done. It's mm-hmm. not the case now. Everyone has a new job every you know, three years. So I think in order to have what you want, you have to create it. There's no trajectory. Additionally, being a venture, you know, getting into venture is actually pretty difficult, one, for women. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, to be a managing partner, it's uh, you'd have to start your own fund, right? Mm-hmm. So I was asked to join a fund, and we're you know raised the money and just built it. It's good timing, I guess. Yeah. And uh, you know had a very good reputation, and people thought so, and you know asked me, and that's basically it. There was no interview; I was essentially profiled and selected. Right. So, right. Well, I guess your track record spoke for itself. For our listeners, um, could you explain what is venture capitalism? Some of them may not exactly be familiar with that term. Sure. It's actually a company, a fund. You know, ours is $50 million, others, you know, more, maybe sometimes less. Basically, this team uses the money to invest in other companies. So when people start companies, sometimes they need a lot more money in order to get to more customers, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean a company is good or bad. It just means, you know, this company is doing well. We have a good product. Clearly people want it, but we need $5 million in order to hire, you know, 50 salespeople in order to capture the entire market, let's say, for example. Well, one way is you can just make the money and hope you can hire enough people eventually. And it takes a long time. Right. So instead, you can go to a place like a venture capital firm and give a portion of your company to them. So you give away 20%, 30%, and they'll give you money. And they also take a position on the board. But basically, you give away some control of your company in exchange for cash. A bank, they give you money and you give them debt. So you owe them money back. 
right? So in venture, there's no, you don't owe any money. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a way of financing companies. That's it. It's very simple. We just invest money. And the value here is that venture capital firms invest in a way where they want the company to do really well, and they want the company to either sell or go IPO. Mm -hmm. When that happens, the company is more valuable. There's a lot more cash on the table. And then that 20%, which maybe I got for $5 million, now I get $50 million. So make money that way. Right. Yeah. You started the hatchery, and um, could you explain what exactly is behind the hatchery? Like, what, it, what sure. is it doing? So the hatchery is a venture collaboration group. It consists of three things. We run a lot of events for the community. We are integral in growing at the tech community in New York in over the last six, seven years. We're advisory consulting, so we work with a lot of countries and companies. Uh, with the countries that they send over their companies, we help them get established here in the U.S. market mostly around getting money and uh, getting customers. And, and then with local companies, same thing, but they're just local, right? So helping companies grow in very specific ways. And then we have an incubator program. And this is actually fairly new, and this is actually what we spend most of our time in, where we work with large corporations to build companies with them. Hmm. So most companies, when you start, you have an idea, you build a product, you go sell the product, Oh, I need some more money. Go get some financing, right? Right. So we actually, um, we get the financing, we sell the product, then we build the product. We do everything backwards. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, we kind of de-risk the value proposition, right? Mm-hmm. So by the time we finish building our products, the customer's already tied in. We already landed that early. And with that milestone, the investors invest. So everything happens based on milestones. Everything's already predetermined. It just makes it a little easier to build a company. It's a very mm-hmm. different approach. We only work with enterprise products, mm-hmm. meaning products that were sold to large companies, mm-hmm. primarily around big data, security, and finance. And um, where did the idea for the hatchery come from? Like, uh, From what I understand, it came from like a very specific need that you saw in New York, but I understand that it's grown to be something else like global yeah. as well, right? So it's really geared around helping entrepreneurs to gain access. And a lot of the culture of the West Coast was not here in New York mm-hmm. when we, so it was helping to bring that here. Now that that culture is, well, there's a lot more opportunities for entrepreneurs in the tech scene here in New York, but now we're about bringing access of investors more so to entrepreneurs, make, teaching them, become, making them better. So now it's increasing the quality of the companies here in New York. Most of the international work is them driving their presence to the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. And so it was just about altruism, about helping companies, about providing something that most people had a hard time getting access to. So we continue to do that. And really, we think mostly about the entrepreneurs. Right. And so how would you compare Silicon Valley to Silicon Alley? Um, they're very different in in their unique ways, right? So East Coast mentality is very fast, you know, hardworking, you know, nonstop, will not stop to eat to work, that kind of mentality. Right. West Coast a little bit more late. Mm-hmm. And by the way, these are all generalities. Sure. Isn't it, that everyone's, right? So valuations for companies are a little bit lower here than in the West Coast. There's a lot more companies started there. There's a lot more funding there. The different mentality when they look at companies uh, then the East Coast. East Coast has a lot of companies. Um, actually, let's not say East Coast. Let's just say New York, right? 
within this one little island, there's almost every major global corporation has their headquarters here, which makes it very much easier to do business, right? Um, there may be a lot of money. It's a very wealthy area, but not all of it has in, uh, invested in tech. West Coast, a lot of the money is coming from entrepreneurs who have been very successful. They come back out and they reinvest their money. Very different dynamics, um, different kinds of companies get started. You know, I mean, we can go on and on, right. but I think it's just... Nothing good or bad, just different. Yeah, you know? sure. And so since you mentioned before you're in a field that is fairly male-dominated, um, have you personally had to deal with, like, the glass ceiling as a woman or a minority? I mean, it sounds like you had a track record and people came to you, but despite that, I'm wondering if you've dealt with any of these issues. Not so much. I don't think that being a woman has uh, prohibited me from opportunities. And maybe it's because I think like an entrepreneur, which is that if I want something, I make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I have. I never thought myself as a woman. And it wasn't until others have told me about their challenges and their stories that I realized that there was even a, a gap. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, you know, that's kind of how I saw it. Right. And so I'm also curious to know, like, you were in pharmaceuticals, and then you said that you came to a point where you decided that you wanted to build something on your own, and you decided to quit your job and start something new. Like, what is that like? I mean, to me and a lot of people, that sounds like a really bold move. It's not just going to another field, but starting your own company. Like, how was that? Yeah, it was actually a little scary at the time, right? So I was making a lot of money, mm-hmm. and then you quit to go. When you when you quit, you have nothing, right? Yeah. So then it starts something from scratch. So, of course, we started a company that we made money right away. Mm-hmm. So very basic principles around business, right? Make money. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was a decision that took me a while to kind of jump. I didn't just wake up one day and say I wanted to do it and then just quit. It took right. a process. Mm-hmm. And... Actually, the deciding factor was a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, who I was trying to come back and forth, and she basically said, like, look, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is this whole thing fails, and you have to come back and get your job again, your six-figure job. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) When you put it that way. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, well, what's the worst? You can go back and get a job. That's the worst thing that can happen. No one's going to die, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, you're right. And I was younger at the time. Right. So there's a lot more flexibility around bouncing back. Mm-hmm. So I did it. And I knew that if I didn't do it, I would regret it. Right. And it sounds like you chose a business that you thought would be pretty sound that would you know, make, some, make money. Yeah, and I also believed in tech. I believed mm-hmm. that was the future. And I, I'm, I'm glad I did it. I would have been miserable otherwise. You know, one, It's only one thing to make money. What is money? Right? Right. We're all, we can't take it with us. We're all going to die. Right? Mm-hmm. So what's, what's the point? Um, you can only buy more stuff. doesn't make you really happy. And so although, you know, switching industries and having to create something from nothing is very difficult and there's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities and the, and the things that came after, uh, I could never have imagined. Right. What advice do you have for people who are thinking about this? And some people may not be in the position that you're in to go back to their six-figure job or whatever. Some people have an idea they want to start their own business, or maybe they have an idea they just think is going to make a positive impact. What would you say to them? What should they do? Where should they start? I would say 
do something you are super passionate about because it's going to be miserable. You know, when we launch companies, and I've done this many times, maybe like two, three days not sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have enough money and you have to sacrifice a lot of luxuries. Maybe like the stereotypical eat ramen noodles and sleep in a studio and, mm-hmm. you know, walk to work, whatever, right? Yeah. You have to make a lot of sacrifices. So yeah. you're going to have a miserable time. And the thing that's going to keep you going, the thing's going to make you happy is that you're working on something that you love. So make sure that that's, that's number one. The second thing is make sure whatever it is you're doing, whatever the idea is, that someone wants to buy it, whatever the product is, right? Sneakers, you know, a mobile app or, you know, making t-shirts, whatever, right? Make sure someone wants to buy it and that you have a really good plan as to how to find people who want to buy it, to sell it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Very basic things. And it's funny because it's not rocket science. I'm not a genius. I just, I, I feel like I'm very logical in how I think about things. And that's it. Right. You know, yeah. make something, sell it. Very basic. <laughs> okay. And frankly, you know, um, even the Hong Kong cakes lady in Chinatown, she put her kids through college selling little cupcakes at $1 a little bag. Right. Yeah. She had a great product and lots of people bought it. And that's it. This, and this fellow from the ECC, he wants to make soup. I'm like, look, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to say it's good or bad, but make sure you know how to get people to buy the soup. Yeah. Oftentimes people just think about, yeah, it's a great thing. It's so great. I'm like, I really don't care if it's great. Who's going to buy it? How much are you going to charge for it? And how are you going to make money? Right. It's very simple. Right. It applies to all business. It doesn't even matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So what do you love the most about what you do? I like that every day is different. Mm-hmm. I like that I get to work with really smart people and create things from nothing, right? And the complexity of making deals. I'm a deal maker. Mm-hmm. I like um, solving problems. Mm-hmm. So taking a, you know, work, like what we do is we actually we work with large companies and Fortune 500. We take a, take a problem. We sit there with a lot of very smart people. We come up with a solution. Right. So it's not the solutions I given to us. We actually had to figure it out. Yeah. And then we work with these corporations to make sure that that's the right plan of action. We then build it. So that's very technical to build it. And then we have to assemble the team. We then have to figure out who the customers are, how we get them. We need to have the Rolodex in order to, to uh, approach them. And then we get the funding in order to, you know, scale this out very quickly. So all of that and the ability to take one to five million dollars and turn it to fifty million dollars is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I love about it, and I love the challenge, and I love almost every aspect of it. Great. And, uh, yeah, and I'm good at it. So. Well, I I did actually want to talk to you about um, uh, your win for causes, but you're saying that's like a little bit of a passion project. I don't know if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, I built, it, I built it out of this need from nonprofits, mm-hmm. and it was really meant as a way to bring charitable giving together with a contest platform. So basically put up, you know, prizes that people would be very interested in, very expensive, and offer it for very, very little money, but you had to compete with each other in order to win it. And it was rolled out for nonprofits to raise 
raise money. And where are these prizes coming from? Are people donating these prizes? Or I'm not sure sometimes, I understand how it works. Yeah, sometimes it's donated by companies. The charities have it themselves. But it basically is uh, incentivizes organizations to provide something of value to a large number of people mm-hmm. and for them to participate, right, to play. And, and as an aggregate, a little bit of money from lots of people in, ends up being more than the item itself, right? So it, um, just to clarify, is it like some kind of a bidding or do people, what do people have to do to get these prizes? So they essentially click on the screen and the last person who clicks wins the prizes. Oh. <laughs> it's a countdown clock. Right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's sort of like an auction, but they don't, but there's not any like bids involved or payment, is there? Uh, yeah, when you win, you get oh. to buy it at the lowest. Price. Oh, I see. So it is like a bidding. So you yeah. see who clicks and gets the lowest price. Okay, interesting. Right. Great. And how long has that been around? About a year and a half, two years. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's um, been so inspiring listening to you. Obviously, you have this laser focus, and you know, um, you've had such great success in this field. And um, I hope it, your interview inspires some other people. Um, to think about following their dreams and making their business or their idea come to reality. Thanks. Talking Taiwan is the longest Taiwan-related podcast, and we are dedicated to bringing you stories connected to Taiwan and Taiwan's global community. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. I've been speaking with entrepreneur Yao Huang. If you enjoyed this episode, go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.